yeah, Mr. Matetua, I, I, I saw Mr. Matetua with that hat on in Stanton City. His whole family walking around dressed like he's dressed today, okay? He's, he's cool, eh? He's very cool, okay? And, uh, and leads a cool family. And uh, I want to do a quick survey. How many of you, by a show of hands, noticed that the tree was looking very drab today? Oh, good, the observant ones, okay? Others, you've said, oh, there was a tree, okay? Uh, so it does look drab. Some of you are saying, oh, it looks better like that. Just keep it green and natural, okay? Um, but we decided today that we are going to dress up that tree because many of you have Christmas trees. Many of us have Christmas trees. It becomes a center point pointing to Jesus, okay? Or it can. Some people have Christmas trees and they just stick all sorts of other stuff on it, okay? But we want to show you today just how important the Christmas tree can be, okay? Because it tells the story of Jesus, okay? And so I have a few goodies in here and our awesome children are going to help us to put these up. First of all, there's a crown. And this crown speaks of Jesus being the king. We've sung about Jesus being the king. And he was a king who didn't just take control by power, okay, but he came and humbled himself as a little baby in a manger. How amazing is that, okay, that he, a king, would leave heaven and come and die for us. So the first thing is a, a crown. But the question is, why did Jesus have to come? I mean, it seems a, a strange thing to, to celebrate his death on his birthday, okay, but the reason why Jesus came is because from Adam and Eve all the way through the centuries, all the way down to us, okay, we've messed up. We've done wrong. We've disobeyed God's laws. We have sinned. We have, we have messed up so badly. And we were left without any hope. Okay? And so God finally came himself in Jesus. Okay? And so our candy canes give us a J. All right? These are not candy canes where we just walk, okay? These are candy canes that remind us that Jesus died for us. And they're red and white stripes because of the stripes of Jesus that he took upon him back. When they took him to the cross, they whipped him. They did cruel things to our Jesus because he was suffering for our healing, for our deliverance. And so the candy canes remind us of that. If we choose to, to come to this Jesus and surrender our hearts to him and give our lives over to him, he forgives us of our sins and we become clean like this clean ball over here, pure and, and, and free from sin. That's what Jesus wants for every single person on the planet, for us to come and give our hearts to him and to have our sins forgiven and to be pure. So now we know why Jesus had to come. In 2,000 years, Jesus did come. And God spoke to some wise men. And uh, he had a star pointing there, you know, to, to show the, the wise men where to come. And these wise men didn't come empty-handed. And you and I should not come empty-handed to Jesus either. We don't come to a birthday without a gift. The wise men came and they brought gold. They brought frankincense and myrrh. They brought these very strange gifts and they all have meanings, but they brought these gifts to Jesus. Now, even if we had gold, some of you would like this in real gold, okay? I mean, we can't give our gifts to Jesus, like throw them up and hope he catches, okay? I mean, often children say to us, you know, how do I give my gift to Jesus, you know? But the gift that we can give is our hearts, our surrendered lives, our worship, that's what Jesus is wanting for his birthday today, us. Here we go. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He walks with me, does not walk in darkness. And of course, a Christmas tree like this would not look finished without some lights, okay? So here goes some lights. Aha, it's twinkling, okay? It has lights. Lights point us the way. 
Jesus is the light in your darkness, in your community where there's darkness, where you see difficulties, where you see challenges. I was looking at our map in our, in our house today and looking at those many countries where there is strife and conflict, wars, poverty, all those things. Jesus is the light. He is the one who brings hope. And finally, our Christmas tree cannot be finished without a beautiful star at the top. The star was what pointed those wise men to Jesus. It stopped over the stable, shone. They knew where to go. You and me are the stars today. You and me need to be pointing people to Jesus. By the way that we live our lives, by the message that we carry, we are all stars pointing the way to Jesus. And that should be the way we celebrate Christmas today. When we go home and we, if we have a Christmas tree, look at our Christmas tree and think, this is what it's doing. It's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the story of Jesus and his birthday that we celebrate today. There we go. Give them a round of applause. Loreco. Come on. It's, uh, it's beautiful that we find meaning uh, and we find Jesus in all things. Merry Christmas, everyone. What a, what a great joy uh, to, to be with you this, this afternoon, this morning. Shall we uh, turn in our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2? Might be afternoon by the time I finish with you. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Somebody's going, we bind that right now in the, in the blood of Jesus. In, um, in Luke chapter 2, by the way, if you uh, brought your Bible uh, with you today, please go ahead and use that. Don't rely on, on the slides. I want you to... If you're in the uh, habit of, take, of making notes in your Bible, to, to uh, go ahead and do that. If you have a notepad, to pull it out. If you uh, are using your phone as your Bible, to um, uh, pull out your notes section. We're going we're gonna, to uh, highlight some things and we're going to make some notes uh, for, as, we, as we proceed today. In the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read right through. From the story of, of Mary into, this, into the shepherds, how they, how they, were in, they encountered the angels and the impact on their lives. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I, will bring, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. That, that's kind of the idea. That's the joy. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. 
you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at, the th at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amen. Now, those of you who know me know that... Uh, I can get a little bit excited when I preach. Just, just a little. You get passionate. As I was praying, preparing for, for this message, I really felt like the best way for me to go would be to, to invite you into my study. That's what I want to do this morning, is I want to invite you into my study, and I want us to track with these scriptures, precept on precept, line on line, so that we can come to a richer understanding of this scripture that tells of the birth of the Christ. And so that we can find the fingerprint of God in all the events that had to happen, how they had to happen, when they had to happen, and come to an appreciation of the fact that this was not chance, this was not happenstance, God was all over this moment. I want you to know that every single word in the scripture is vitally important and contains revelation. We're gonna focus on a few as we're tracking for the sake of time. So if we go back into that scripture, right from the beginning, it says that it came to pass in those days that a decree, I want you to note that word decree. If you're in your Bible, you can highlight, highlight that word. If you're in your phone, highlight that word. Decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all, highlight all, went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So where we find Mary and Joseph is that Mary is heavily pregnant. Heavily pregnant, she's on the verge of giving birth. A decree goes out from Caesar Augustus, I want everybody to go back to their hometowns. Wherever your original village, town, city is, go back there and be registered. Register yourself there. This was for tax purposes. They wanted to track the migrations of the people and how that affected their, tra their, their, their taxations. This, by the way, was non-negotiable. This was not a suggestion. The decree that was sent out was, was meant to be obeyed, and if you fail to obey, there was great punishment. And so it didn't matter how much of an inconvenience this decree was, you were expected to obey. And so Joseph had to take his betrothed wife, Mary, who was heavily pregnant, and travel a great distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Would have been somewhere between 130 and 140 kilometers that they had to, to travel. On foot, taking something anywhere between uh, uh, seven uh, to nine days for somebody who's traveling slowly, heavily pregnant, uncomfortable with multiple stops, and they would have been camping along the way. So it was greatly inconvenient, maybe even painful for them to make this journey, but they had to obey because the decree had been set. And, uh, and it tells us that all, verse 3, all went to be registered. That would have been the entire known world to them, the entire Roman Empire, every shop closed, every business shuts down, 
if you're in tourism, this is a great time for you. You're hosting people, you're helping them along the way, you're catering, but if you're in any other trade, you have to shut down shop and you have to go home. You're losing money, but guess what? You have to obey. What this tells us, saints, is that God was committed to getting Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, to getting them to where he needed them to be. In fact, he was willing to shut the whole system down to get them where they needed to be. Now, for you and me, saints, God is just as dedicated to to causing us to fulfill our destinies. Those things that we're carrying, those mandates that we have on us, those purposes and identities and callings and giftings, saints, God is dedicated to getting you to where you need to be so that you can fulfill what he needs you to fulfill. He's willing to shift things around for you to achieve this. He's willing to inconvenience people around you to get you where he needs, to be, he needs you to be. He's willing to shut down the nation, the whole known world, if he needs to, to get you where you need to be, just like he would have done for Mary. Whole known world, travel to your cities. Now, why was it important for God that Mary finds herself in Bethlehem? Mary would give birth in Bethlehem, but Jesus could have been born anywhere. If Jesus was born in Nazareth, he would still be the savior of the world. If Jesus had been born in Nazareth, he would still go on to die on the cross. His death would still be just as meaningful to you and I. So why was this important for God that Jesus be born in Nazareth? To understand that, we need to understand a few things first. Firstly, verse 4 says that Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he he was of the house and lineage of David. I want you to mark those three, three words, Nazareth, Bethlehem, and, and lineage of David. These, these are important dots that we need to connect in order to come to a fullness of understanding of how this picture works. The word Nazareth means a branch. More specifically, if you think of a, a tree stump, A tree that has been cut down, that part that is left is is a tree stump. Sometimes you would have seen or you would see a picture of a branch or a shoot that grows out of that tree stump. That is the specific word, netzah, Nazareth, that branch. The word for Bethlehem, if you break that down, Bethlehem is the house of bread. And of course we're told that Joseph need to come from the lineage of David. What do these three concepts have to do with anything? Let's take an even further step back. In the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, he was a prophet in Judah, the united kingdom of Israel had already been divided. So not long after the death of Solomon, of King Solomon, there was civil war in Israel and the nation was, was divided. And Judah and Benjamin went one, one way, and the rest of the tribes went another. The bigger tribes came to be known as the, as the, as the whole house of Ephraim. They were, in effect, taken over by the tribe of Ephraim, which was one of the tribes. And the, the southern tribe came to be known as the tribe of Judah, which consisted of Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribe, which was Israel, became very susceptible to outside influences, culture, values, belief systems. And they lost their way, didn't take them long. And they were also carried away into other nations and effectively scattered after a while. However, the nation, or the, 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 the kingdom of Judah, managed to resist outside influences for a very long time and maintained their, 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 their belief systems and their cultures and their faith in God. They would pass on what we understand today as contemporary Judaism. However, they too came to a point where they, uh, they submitted to external influences. 
and their, and their kings were evil in the sight of God, the Bible tells us. God endured this for a time until he could endure it no more. And at a point, God sent Jeremiah to pronounce a curse over Israel, over Judah, sorry, specifically over the royal household, over the king, the, the, the contemporary king of the day was Jeconiah. And so Jeremiah pronounces a curse over the house of Jeconiah, effectively cutting them off, cutting his line off and removing them from the throne. And this is what he says. It's in Jeremiah 22. He says, is this, is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know, prophesying of the fact that they would be carried away into Babylon. They would be taken over by Babylon, and, and they would be, and they would be uh, taken captive into, into Babylon. Verse 29 says, O earth, earth, earth. Saints, very few places in Scripture does the Scripture call your attention like it does here. Mentioned many times before, when we see repetition in Scripture, that is emphasis. Often we see double repetition. Here we see triple. Earth, earth, earth. The entirety of the earth is being called to stand at attention and take note of what God is about to proclaim. And he says this, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Your line is cut off just like that. You will not prosper, your descendants will not pros prosper, you will no longer sit on the throne of David in Judah. However, there's a problem. You see, God had made a promise earlier on to David. He had said, David shall never lack a man on the throne. As long as there was a throne, there would be a man from David to sit on that throne. So what do we have now? A conundrum. The line, the royal line, has been cursed and cut off. How then is the promise going to be fulfilled that God made to, add, to, to David that he would never lack a man on the throne? Well, what we see here, saints, is that God would commit to preserving the line, the lineage of David. So even though the throne would be dissipated, even though the kingdom would be annihilated for all intents and purposes, even though the kingship would be untraceable, the line of David would remain. Because you see, God never needed a man to keep the throne warm for Jesus to come. But what he required was the stump. The stump of the tree, remember the tree, tree, it's growing, it's full of life, and maybe God comes and he grafts Jesus in somewhere, but God said, no, I don't require that. I can cut off this tree. I can curse everything. It's a stump. It's dead, but I will raise up a branch. I'll raise up a branch. Jeremiah 23, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a what? A branch. Remember that word from Nazareth. I will raise up a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will, de will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called. And this is how we know he's talking about Jesus. The Lord, our righteousness. Even though I've cut off the line, even though I've cut down the tree and it's a dead stump, I will raise up a branch and he will ascend to the throne. So Jesus, being raised in Nazareth, in fact, Jesus spent overwhelmingly the, 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 the majority of his life in Nazareth. He was called Jesus of Nazareth. As far as everybody was concerned, he was, he, he was born and bred, raised in Nazareth. Why? Because he would be the Nazarene. He would be the branch that would come out of a dead stump, that line of 
of David. Now, why, why does the scripture highlight the fact that Joseph was of the lineage of David? Well, very simple. Jesus, who would be the king, the king that was prophesied to assume the throne of David, had to come from the line of David. And so Joseph, his lineage traces back to David. It's from the, house, from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. And so it was right for his son to assume the throne. However, remember now, a curse was pronounced. So now, some of you are going, yeah, I'm following you, but Jesus was not Joseph's biological son. So contractually, mm, it's a little loose. You're right. However, Mary, mother of Jesus, came from the tribe of Judah, line of David, contract secured. Now, it was important that it happens this way because Jesus couldn't actually come from the blood, from, from, from the body of Joseph, because Joseph carried the cursed line. Jesus doesn't come from a curse. But he came from the line of Mary. But he fell under the covering of Joseph. So he carries legally all the authority, but none of the curse. He's of the royal household, and he can assume the throne. It was important to God that every, every angle is covered. That you or I or any accuser cannot come before him and say, yeah, but. Because whether it was spiritually, physically, contractually, covenantly, whatever Lee was covered by God. So what's the big deal about Bethlehem? Bethlehem we recognize in the Old Testament is called the city of David. It's the seat of power. If there's going to be a king who's going to come from David, and Jesus, in fact, calls himself the son of David. If he's going to come from David, then it is right that he be born in the city of David, the, 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 the seat of power. It had to be covered. There could be no loophole left for anything. And so it was right that, that uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He only spent 40 days there, by the way. And then he went and he lived most of his life in Nazareth. But the contract was observed. Secondly, Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem we've mentioned, means house of, of bread. How fitting, is it not right, that the one who is called the bread of life, the bread that comes from heaven, should be born in the house of bread. As a, as a third observation, and this one's for free, the story of, if you go back to the Old Testament, the story of Ruth, the primary location for the story of Ruth is Bethlehem. Now, if you've read the story of Ruth, then you'll know that it's about a foreigner who marries into the tribe of Judah, he marries an Israelite and receives the rights of the children of God. Boaz is, this, is the man who marries Ruth. Boaz is held up in the story as what is called a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman's redeemer was the person who would step in if a woman was without a husband or her husband had died and she hadn't born children and she was on the verge of being cast out, couldn't, couldn't provide for herself, and there was no lineage to speak of. These were very important things. And so this guy would step in, and because of this relationship, because of this marriage relationship, she would become fruitful. This was the kinsman's redeemer. It's linked to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate, ultimate kinsman's redeemer. And so even the setting of Jesus coming into Bethlehem is a fulfillment of the kinsman's redeemer. 
Verse 5, to be, it says that he, they went off to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be, to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, I was listening to Pastor Roger giving us the teaching last week, and he, he spoke about how Mary, for all intents and purposes, became the first believer, the first Christian. And it occurred to me as he was, he, he was teaching that, well, for this to happen, in essence, what was happening was that Mary internalized Jesus. Mary's internal reality was Jesus. She brought him forth. She gave birth to him, thus manifesting him to the world. Is that not our mandate, saints, as Christians? Our internal reality, in fact, the scriptures put it, put it this way, that Christ in you is the hope of your glory. But it doesn't end there. We're called to bring forth Jesus, to manifest Jesus into the world. Saints, if you're just carrying Jesus, if Jesus is your internal reality and nothing else, that's not even a pass mark. You're called to manifest Jesus into the world. And if you're carrying Jesus and he is your reality and your internal reality, and then you birth him into the world, that is the culmination, the fullness of what it means to be a Christian. In verse 8, it says there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. This is important. I want you to highlight that in your Bibles, that these shepherds were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, the fact that they were watching over their sheep by night speaks firstly of just diligence. They were doing an amazing job. But secondly, I want you to note that this was not normal. They lived out in the fields. This gives rise to a theory that is debated amongst Bible scholars that these shepherds were not normal shepherds, that these shepherds were what is called Levitical shepherds. And what Levitical shepherds were are people who were trained in the profession of rearing and breeding sheep that would be used in in uh, in in in, in uh, in altar, altar ceremonies. So they would look after these sheep, and when it was time for them to birth, they would take the sheep to a specific place, it was typically a cave, and it was ritually cleansed so that the, 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 the sheep and the lamb would not be defiled. And when the sheep or this lamb was born, they would perform certain rituals according to the law to ensure that these lambs were worthy to be sacrificed. And the reason they were sacrificed, of course, is for the sin of the people of Israel. And so when it was time for people to go and offer, offer up sacrifices, these were the sheep that would be used. They were spotless. They were blemishless. They were, they were, they'd been kept in a certain way. And people would take these and they would sacrifice them for the sin of the people. This becomes an important detail. Just hang on and I'll show you where. Verse 9, let's read. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is to be born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Highlight those words. A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. From the very first time that the birth of Jesus was heralded, his profile was made clear. If you were to, Jesus is born, and you go and you click on his LinkedIn, Savior, Christ, and Lord are right there. Now, other things would come later. He would post pics of him walking on water and feeding people and, you know, and would all like, etc. But initially, Savior, Christ, and Lord, that word Christ, is the, is the Greek version of the word Messiah, which is anointed, anointed one, imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. This, these are the three critical, critical things that you ought to believe about Jesus. That firstly, he's your savior, he's anointed, and that he's your Lord. All three are important. I want to labor this point, because if you're in the practice of calling yourself a Christian, you tick Christian on the form, and by, 
And by that, what you mean is that you are not any other religion. You are not agnostic, you are not atheist, you're not Hindu or Muslim or anything else. So therefore, I'm Christian. I want to tell you that that does not secure your eternity. Simply calling yourself a Christian or, hey man, I love Jesus. I love what he did on the cross for me. I, I receive what he did on the cross for me. Not enough, saints, if he's not your Lord. Not enough if he's not your Lord. If you're not submitted to his lordship, his will, and his, and his way, that speaks of obedience. That means that we don't debate with him about our habitual sin. I don't get to, to craft this place for myself of habitual sin that I've justified to myself and I try to justify to other people and I live out that way. If there are areas of sin in your life, my life included, habitual sin that I've gotten comfortable with, that I'm even able to justify to other people, I'm walking on dangerous ground. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, that is a random piece of information, unless we read it with the proper emphasis. So I want you to look at that word, verse 12, that word you. So let's, uh, let, let's, uh, let's put emphasis on the word you. In fact, let's put emphasis on two words, this and you. And then let's read that a little bit differently. It says, and this will be a sign to you. Who is the angel talking to? He's talking to the shepherds. This will be a sign to you shepherds. This, the thing I'm about to tell you, will be a sign to you shepherds, you specific shepherds. What is the thing I'm, I'm going to tell you? What is the sign? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laid in a manger. Why is this a sign? Well, the practice of Levitical shepherds was that when they had birthed a, a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, they would wrap this lamb in swaddling clothes with the strips of cloth and bind the legs of the lamb with these cloths, both to protect the lamb and to keep it ritually pure. So what the angel was saying is, you shepherds who work with sacrificial lambs will recognize the sign that I'm giving you because it is a familiar sign to you. When you walk in and you see this baby, what you will see is a sacrificial lamb. You will see the thing that you work with on a daily basis, except for one thing, shepherds. You have been looking in the wrong place. You have, you have dedicated your lives to ensuring that these lambs don't become tainted so that you can, you, you can receive forgiveness for your sins. But here is the real sacrifice for your sins. Here is the real sacrificial lamb, and you will recognize that because he will look like the thing that you are used to. You'll be able to connect those dots. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. The reason I want you to highlight that, that peace, see this thing that uh, that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us is because I want you to notice their response. This is, this is a response of faith. Yes, Jesus. This is a response of faith. This is not a doubting response. This is not a let's go see if these things are true. Let's go and verify this information. No, this is a let us go and behold this thing that has been revealed to us. And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. So they come in. Here the shepherds, they come in to, where, to, to, to the place where, where, where Joseph and Mary were, and they find Jesus laid in, in a manger. Now, a manger is not a Hebrew word for a cute little crib. A manger is a feeding trough. They were in a place where animals were kept, and there was a feeding trough, and it's called a manger. Typically, it would have been a large rock or a stone that had been hewn out. You put food in there, and the animals come and feed. That's where they find Jesus. Now, it absolutely thrills me, I don't know about you, that they come in, and they find the bread of life in the feeding trough. But that's not my point. Here's my point. They come in, they see Jesus. Jesus is in, this, is in this thing. He's laid in there. Mary's wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and they immediately make the connections. 
in that moment, in that very moment, was the culmination and the fulfillment of what God had begun to do when he led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Here's why. When God brought the, the Israelites out of Egypt, and he took Moses, and they communed for a while, and, they, and he showed him a, a blueprint of what he wanted to build, the tabernacle, gave him the ark. What he was doing was forming a way in which God could fellowship with his people, a way in which his presence could be hosted. It was not yet the time when God would inhabit his, would inhabit his people like he does now. At that time, God gave them the tabernacle, and then he gave them an ark, and this ark was to host the presence of God, right? So follow with me. The shepherds come in. What do they see? They see a baby, baby Jesus, in the feeding trough, which is a, sto- which is a hewn out stone. Let's put, a, let's put a pin on that. In Hebrews, we see a, 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 a description of the ark and the contents of the ark. How many of you know there were things in the ark? Remember the tablets of the law that God had given to Moses? Those were kept in the ark. Have you read about the, the manna that fell when the, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, which was the bread or, or the, the, the food that fell from heaven? There was a pot of this manna in the ark. The other thing, there were three things in the ark. The other thing was a staff. It was Aaron's staff. Aaron was Moses' brother. And, and what the scriptures tell us is that the staff had budded, budded, and it had borne almond fruit, almond nuts. Well, I don't know, is it almond fruit? Nuts. And the reason this is important is because when God had called Moses to become the leader of Israel, he also instated Aaron as the priest, and the, the line of priests would come from, from Aaron. But this didn't sit well with the tribal leaders of Israel. It felt a little bit like nepotism. Moses, you know, distribution of power, you know. So they, they were grumbled and they came against him. And so what Moses did at, at God's direction is he asked the tribal leaders to bring their staff. Each one would have a staff, and this was a sign of their authority. And, and he asked them to write their name on the staff or to carve their name onto the staff. And they left all the staffs in the tent of meeting overnight. And when they came back the next morning, they found that Aaron's staff had budded and borne these almond nuts. And this was a confirmation from God that he had chosen Aaron as his priest. So three things in the ark. Tablets, which was what Moses had received from from God. Aaron's staff and his pot of of manna. What What did the shepherds observe when they walked into the place where Jesus was laid? They observed Jesus, who was the fulfillment of all that was in the ark. Jesus, who is the bread of life. Jesus, the bread from heaven. Jesus, who is our high priest. And Jesus, who is the word of God, tells us that right in the beginning of the book of John. He's the word of God. All the things that were contained in the ark were manifest in real life in the form of Jesus Christ. And the promise that that symbolized was now fulfilled. Let's stand to our feet. Last thing I want to point out to you in verse 20 of the scripture after the shepherds had gone out who by the way if Mary became the first Christian the shepherds became the first evangelists they went out and proclaimed this message what did they do afterwards verse 20 it's underlined there it says they returned returned glorifying God and praising him what did they return to their job their field there was still a job that needed to be done so so what this tells me is that God met 
these shepherds. He met them in their workplace. He met them in their profession. They, they had a spiritual experience at work. They responded to the spiritual experience. But guess what? They still went back to work. They still were diligent. They were still faithful and trustworthy. Saints, let's trust God to come into our workplaces. 2020, God, come into our workplaces. God, come into my office. God, empower and anoint me. God, intervene. God, give me revelation and solutions for the things we're facing in the workplace. God, allow profit, profit for this company to flow out through me. God, allow revival to come into this workplace because I am here. God can intervene in your workplace. That doesn't mean you become a weird Christian. You can still go back to work. You can still be faithful and diligent. Jesus says of himself that he is the good shepherd. In fact, he's the ultimate shepherd. He says he's the good shepherd because he's the shepherd who will die for his flock. The thing about shepherds is they used to look after their sheep. And then when it was time for them to go home, they'd put them in the sheepfold, which was a common sheepfold. So it was shared by many other owners of sheep. And so the, sh the, the shepherd had to rely on the sheep, his sheep, knowing his voice in order to be able to pick them out of, out of the group. And so in the morning, when the shepherd would go and collect his sheep, he would call out to them. And the sheep would recognize his name, and they would come out to him. And those that didn't recognize his name would ignore him and wait for their shepherd. And so the, the shepherd had to make sure that his sheep knew his name. In order to do this, he would speak to his sheep all the time. The sheep were always hearing the, sh the shepherd's voice, whether he was speaking or singing or just making noises, whatever it was. The sheep knew the shepherd's voice, and they responded to the shepherd's voice. Saints Jesus, who is the good shepherd, who is the ultimate shepherd, is always speaking. He is deeply committed to you knowing his voice, hearing his voice, and responding. He's always speaking. All the time, he is speaking to you. He wants you to be familiar with his voice. And even right now, he's speaking specific things to some of you. I cannot list all of them because we're all individuals, but I want to pick out one category, and just one. I know for a fact that Jesus is speaking to those of you whose lives are not submitted to him. Savior, Messiah, Lord, you're not ticking all three of these boxes. Maybe your life, in your li you call yourself a Christian, but if I were to follow you, follow you around and observe your life, there would be no fruit, no evidence of the fact that you are a Christian. Maybe you've never even gotten the opportunity or made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, the shepherd is speaking to you now. And if you've distanced yourself from him, he's calling out to you now to come back into his sheepfold. And this is very important, saints, because it is only the sheep that are in his sheepfold that receive eternity with him. There are many other sheep, that, but they have their own shepherds. Jesus will call his ones, his children, only those who respond to his voice. I want to pray for some of you to respond to his voice this morning. So Father, I ask just for a, a boldness to rest upon those that you are calling today. Whether it's your child who has walked away from you and has not lived a life that is pleasing to you, has not been submitted to you, or whether it's the one who has never surrendered their life to you, 
They all need to come under your lordship. I pray that they would hear your voice now and say, you will know if God, if Jesus is speaking to you right now. You've known right from the beginning. Even as I've been, as I've been preaching, you've known. Your heart has been telling you. Maybe he's been beating a little bit faster than normal. Maybe you've been feeling a little bit uncomfortable or agitated or you have a sense of knowing that this moment is the time that you need to take to respond to the call of the shepherd. And if you know that that is you and you're ready to receive that invitation, can I ask you to acknowledge him just by raising your hand? Raise your hand if you're saying yes. I receive that invitation. I submit my life to you. Thank you for those hands. Please raise them up higher. I don't want to get confused. Thank you. If you're saying, I'm ready to respond, I'm ready to repent, I'm ready to lay my life down, or if I've been distant, I'm ready to come back, raise your hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Can I ask that we do one more thing, that if you've got your hand raised, if you'll just grab your belongings and come up to the front here with me, I want to pray with you. You're not going to say anything. I'm going to say everything. I will pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. I want everybody in here. This is our family. I want them to celebrate with you. We want to acknowledge this moment. Come on up if you raised your hand. If you're with somebody who raised their hand, please come on up with them as a show of support. Let's keep celebrating them. This is a celebration of Jesus. We're glorifying Jesus in this moment. Come on now. Well done for your courage. Well done. Give me a high five. Don't leave me hanging. Well done. Well done for your courage. If you know you need to be here, then please come and join us. We're going to pray. Ladies, I'm going to ask you to pray after me. And we're going to pray together because, as we said, this is a family moment. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I choose to submit to your lordship. You are the king and I am the servant. I believe that you died on the cross, that you died for me and for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day and that you gave me eternal life. I receive all your gifts right now. May I never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Will you ladies just follow Nonko this way? She's just going to pray with you a little bit more, give you a bit more material to help you uh, in this journey. Thank you, Rex. Yeah, sure.